Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Robbie, and uh, it's such a privilege to be worshiping with you this morning and to be able to bring God's Word. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 1. We are going to start our sermon series in the book of Jonah this morning, and we'll be looking this morning particularly at verses 1 through 3. And as you turn there, uh, remember that one of the things we're trying to do lately and sort of massage into our liturgy and the way that we do things is I will read the passage that we are going to look at this morning, and then I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and you'll respond with? All right, so, so let's do that. So let's turn our attention to Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. And call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Well, just to start off right off the bat, our key truth from this text is God calls his people to participate in his compassionate mission for the life of the world. God calls his people to to participate in his compassionate mission for the life of the world. And I want to be careful here because I think there's two keys that we could hear that in. And I think we mainly need to hear this this morning anyway in the descriptive key. In other words, this is what God is doing in our lives as his people in the life of uh, our church, in the life of the churches that make up his kingdom all across the world, this is what he is doing. He's calling his people to participate in his compassionate mission for the life of the world. So don't mainly hear this in the other key, which is, all right, so you need to figure out what you're doing and go out and do it, and this is the, you know, a new year, a new start, figure it out, go, go and do it. I think mainly, first of all, what we need to do is take a step back. We need to sit and listen and hear this much in the same way that Jonah initially heard this call. This call that came out of um, not so much the clear blue sky, but certainly in terms of the things that he was focusing on, the things that preoccupied him, uh, certainly came and changed his perspective on uh, what he was doing and what the Lord was calling him to. And so I think we need to hear that in, in a similar key. Hear this mainly in a descriptive key. Here's what the Lord is calling us as his people to. Well, Jonah was a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel, Uh, at the time when Assyria was a dominant power in that region. And Nineveh, the city that God called Jonah to preach to, was an important city. It was well-known, much like uh, New York or Paris or London is well-known in our day. And the Assyrians also were, well, they were bullies in their region. Uh, They made lots of proud boasts about how powerful and mighty they were, and they they shoved people around, and they made them know that we were the dominant, they were the dominant power in that region. Uh, in that region. And Jonah probably, we don't know this for sure, but he probably belonged to the uh, set in the Israelite ruling class that represented, uh, that resented Assyrian dominance and, and wanted to reassert Israelite um, nationalism, re- reassert their, their standing in the world, their standing in the region. He probably belonged to that set that really wanted to make Israel's power known, or at least felt in their own particular region. They resented uh, the fact that the Assyrians were bullies. And it's a feeling that we can sympathize with. It's one we can understand. We don't like it when people get big ideas about who they are and try to put us in our place, and uh, we resent that. And we like to put them back in their place and let them know that we are somebody anyway, and they ought to know it. 
So, and that's not a comment, by the way, about who the various bullies in the world are today. We, that's a separate discussion, um, one, one we could get into, and, and one that is a genuine discussion to have. But despite all of that, we, we, we could go down that rabbit hole. What we all can agree with is that we don't like it when there are bullies in the world. We don't like it when people make big claims for themselves, and we want them to know that that's not okay. And Jonah definitely had that idea. He probably belonged to that class in Israel that, that wanted to make that the, the standing policy. In fact, we know that from Second Kings that he, uh, at least at one point in his prophetic career, he... Um, he prophesied to King Jeroboam II that Israel was going to expand their borders. And that probably made him a pretty popular prophet in his day. I mean, think about it. If mainly the kind of prophets the Lord is sending to your people are uh, prophets who are reminding you that you have fallen far, far short of the covenant, and there are big things that you've missed out on. You, you've forgotten your covenant God. You, you've set up idols, and, and lots of injustice reigns in your, your society. And then here comes along this guy, and, and his prophecy is, but actually the Lord is going to have compassion on you. He's going to enable your borders to expand. He, he was probably pr pretty popular with the Israelite ruling class, and so he probably had an end with them. And probably the big idea for him was, well, this means that the Lord Lord is really serious about his covenant promises, and uh, yes, we've fallen far short, and that's not a good thing, but there's still hope for Israel. Um, and, and so he was probably belonging to that class that, that really represented that, that way of thinking. And yet, here comes the Lord, uh, despite all of that, and tells him, get up, go to, it, go to Nineveh, and call out against that city, for their evil has come up before them. God, in other words, calls Jonas to something bigger than the fleeting concerns of personal and national reputation. He calls him to be an instrument for the concerns of his kingdom. In his kingly authority, God takes notice of the Ninevites. Their evil has come up before him, and he intends to do something about it. And by the way, the meaning of this phrase, their evil has come up before me, is vague, and possibly deliberately so. It can either mean their evil behavior has come to my notice. That is, it's so obnoxious that I can overlook it no longer, I'm going to do something about it. Or it can mean evil that has, been that has befallen them, the evil circumstances that they're in, the, the, the great danger that they are now facing has come to my notice. In other words, they're in such dire straits that their situation has aroused my pity. But given the way that life is and the way that we normally experience it, it probably is the case that both those meanings are intended in some way. Uh, probably it's the case that the Ninevites, by their obnoxious behavior, by their uh, injustice towards one another, by their flouting God's law, had landed themselves in some pretty hot water. And now they were going to face the consequences of some terrible decisions that they'd made, of the injustice they allowed to reign in their society. And that had aroused God's pity and compassion. In fact, it's related to something we've often noticed that oftentimes in the Bible, in fact, every time in the Bible, praise God, judgment precedes mercy. Or another way to say that is mercy immediately follows judgment. There, there's God's judgment against sin. He can't overlook it. He's not going to overlook the sin to the third and the fourth generation of those who, who hate him. And yet he's going to not allow it to linger. He's going to stop it right there. And it seems to be the case for the Ninevites as well. Their evil has come up before him. Their obnoxious behavior, God can no longer overlook. And yet, the, the dire straits that they found themselves in, he cannot overlook either. He's going to have mercy and compassion. And so he's going to call his prophet to go and preach to the Ninevites. 
So straight away, we are confronted with some startling implications about God and the world. And this is why I say at the very beginning, we need to hear the key truth mainly as description. Not because it's our job just to sit back and relax and God's got, got the situation and we can just kind of coast a little bit. We need to hear it as uh, this is who the Lord is. This is the mission that he's called us to. This is who we need to recognize who we are as his beloved people. So straight away, we're confronted with some starting implications about God and the world. Just at the time when we are preoccupied with something which seems to us to be all important, God frequently comes in and gives us a task that challenges us to give it up and focus our energy on something bigger. Jonah was concerned with the pride and independence of Israel, but God called him to a task with a bigger perspective. We too can become preoccupied with problems and concerns which loom large. There are political problems and familial problems and work problems. There are issues to be navigated and troubles to be fixed. There are bad habits to be dealt with in our own lives, as well as the cleaning up required by the destruction that they have left. And on top of that, there are the goals we have set for ourselves this year. Whether or not you've made resolutions, all of us began a new year with something of a feeling that this is the beginning of a, something new, a clean slate, as it were, and there's things to be done and, and goals to be achieved. And just at the time when these issues seem biggest, God will come along and command us to give our attention to something else, to his kingdom. Here is Jonah, preoccupied with the great issues of state, Israel's national distress, and here's the Lord calling Jonah to leave all and preach mercy to the enemy city. And here we are at the beginning of a new decade, or depending on how you calculate that, at least in the popular conception, the beginning of a new decade. Some of us are bruised, some of us are anxious, all of us are concerned with many things, and here is the Lord calling us to fix our attention on his kingdom and his word and his mission in the world. Malcolm Muggeridge, he was the uh, English journalist and satirist of about a generation ago, I guess. He once said that, I've often thought that if I'd been a journalist in the Holy Land at the time of our Lord's ministry, I should have spent my time looking into what was happening in Herod's court. I'd be wanting to sign Salome for her, her exclusive memoirs, finding out what Pilate was up to, and, and I would have missed, missed completely, the most important event there ever was. And that's not just Muggeridge, that's all of us in some respects. Maybe not because we're journalists and we're interested in the details of Herod's court, but because we're people and we're interested in the details of our own individual lives and the, the problems that are there and the things that have to be fixed or the goals that we have, whatever they might be. And oftentimes, if we're not careful, we can miss the most important thing there ever was. And so God will come along, God will come along and challenge us to fix our attention on the concerns of his kingdom, on the concerns of the people that are far from our minds and occupation most of the time. So it might be for us, until the Lord comes to direct our attention to the things that really matter. So here's a question for us to think over. In what ways did God demonstrate his compassionate character in your life in the last year? And how did you respond? You see, the big issue in all of life and in every moment of every day is what is God up to? How is he working around and about me to bring people from all over the world to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and to bring every knee to bow before his glorious throne, beginning with mine? So how was God at work in your life in this way in the last year? It's actually kind of related to the question that we challenge ourselves to ask very often, which is, how has God been good? I mean, this is a 
maybe a more specific way to get at that, but how has God been good? How has God been compassionate to you in the last year? And the more we, we fix our minds on that, the more, well, our troubles become put in per, into perspective. The more we get to see that God is concerned with more than just our mental health, with more than just getting the problems fixed on our own lives, with more than just the American dream. God is concerned with using these things for our good so that we can be pulled into, drawn into his commission to bring compassion to a world that desperately needs it. God is directing our attention away from ourselves and the things that seem big to us in the moment and toward his kingdom, his word, and his mission. That's the first implication. Implication number two, God has regard for the nations. The call to preach to Nineveh implies that God is not yet finished with them. There is time to repent, time to turn to the Lord. There is a day yet of mercy. And Jonah, by the way, implicitly understands this, which is why he is so quick to run from his commission. He doesn't like the implications of that. He doesn't like the idea that there is yet a day for mercy, of mercy for his enemies. And yet, as he will discover, he needs that too. There needs to be a day of mercy for Jonah too, and it's the same with us. Oftentimes I think that if we're not careful, we can begin to treat our Christian lives or Christian maturity or even knowing our Bibles better as just um, maybe a lifeline up to God to get some Holy Spirit firepower to do the sorts of things that we recognize we can't do in our own strength but are really far removed from the concerns of Jesus' kingdom. So we recognize that it's nice to have uh, good marriages and well-behaved kids and a stable job and all the sorts of things that the world recognizes are good to have. And, and we recognize, well, you know, in, our, in and of ourselves, we have a lot of potential to mess all of that up because of our own selfishness and, and what have you. And so I have this lifeline in Christianity to call up to God and make those things right. And, and there's an element of truth to that. And yet, just at the very time in which those issues seem biggest to us, the Lord calls us to fix our attention on his kingdom and to find the truth in what Jesus said, that the more we seek his kingdom, these things are added to us. Oftentimes, these things are big and pressing to us and big problems to us because we fixed our heart and our hopes and our sense of safety and security in things that are fleeting in the world instead of on the things that God calls us to, his kingdom, and the spread of his kingdom to the nations. What are some several themes? Well, we'll explore some themes of, of this idea that God calls us as his people to uh, be involved in his compassionate mission. Some implications of these themes. First, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. It's a privilege to hear the word of the Lord. God's word has an authority and power behind it that all other words lack. So this is not the God of cultural relativism. His prophet bears a word for another people, and it is a word they need to hear and to which they are expected to listen. God's solution to Jonah's preoccupation with the pride of his own people is not to convince him that all of that doesn't matter because the Israelites are basically good people and the Ninevites are basically good people and everybody's basically good people, so he just needs to knock all that off and, and just figure it out. No, his solution is to draw him into a mission to bring the Ninevites into a recognition of God's wonder and majesty. It's to say, Jonah, you're wrong because you are focusing on your pride and the pride of your people. It's just not very far removed from the attitude of the Ninevites. And instead, what I'm calling you to is a recognition of my word. The, Lord of the, word, the, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. We shouldn't miss it. There's also an inherent, inherent relevance and urgency in God's word. It is suited to the needs of people. 
In fact, you cannot take God for your boast for very long until you find that his care for the world becomes your chief concern too. You can't have a deep acquaintance with his word for very long before you find it addressing all sorts of situations and people you did not regard before. And I just have a question. Are we ready for this? Are we ready for the many problems that we want God to solve to open up to us new potential for the way in which we engage our neighbors and our co-workers? That is the good thing about following the Lord, after all. Expect that as we uh, get to know him more, the more uh, opportunities that we have to be able to be a, a witness to the world, our unbelieving neighbors, of, of what a good father he is. And by the way, we're not going to fix the pride in our own hearts or in our culture by looking inside ourselves. We're not going to fix the, the many problems that come about from uh, pursuing false idols of safety and security by looking at ourselves and thinking, well, what is this recipe and how do I figure this out and how do I get it solved and, and sorted? It's going to come through knowing the Lord, by looking to His Word, by becoming deeply acquainted with who He is and who He has called us to be as His people. Another implication of this is that God is the one who matters. The value of people lies not in ourselves or the things that we achieve or the culture that we make or the boasts that we can uh, uh, get or, or anything else. It's in who we are made as his people. The value of everyone that we meet lies precisely in the fact that they are images of the very living God, not in the things that we can do. So, and, and on the one hand, that cuts right against the grain of, uh, of some common perceptions in our culture. One is that your value is, is determined by yourself, that, that you kind of make your mark in the world by your individuality. No, we make our mark in the world because of who we are made as God's people. On the other hand, it cuts against the grain, which might be a sort of opposite tendency, which is to say that I make my boast in the world by the things that I do, by the things that I achieve. No, it's in who I am as God's beloved child, son, or daughter. And so the way in which we engage our neighbors, the way in which we engage the world is not to say that, well, we're better because we figured out life or we pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps or we have these things that we can boast in, but no, to say that we engage the world because of who they are as God's image bearers. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah and convinced him of that truth. It ought to convince us too. So it should be with us. The most important thing in the world is to be faithful and to believe and obey God's word and to say it too. There's a confident expectation, in other words, in what God's word will do. We see it in the ministry of Jesus, by the way. He was always assuming that the most important thing was that he be faithful to say what his father had told him to say. Did you ever notice that? He was always assuming that was the most important thing for him. I've given you the words that my father has given me to speak. I've, I've not spoken anything except that I've heard him say it. The most important thing for Jesus was, was that he would be faithful to the word the Lord had given him to say. He expected the word to bear fruit. Over and over and over again, he would say to his disciples, I've given you these words. This is what's going to happen. And in the face of their unbelief and their just confusion about what was going on and all sorts of evidence to the contrary, seemingly, and his utter unshakable conviction was, because you, because you have my word, because you have the words of the Father, this is going to happen. Jesus had an unshakable confidence that the word was going to bear fruit. So it's not for nothing that this book opens with, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. It's not just a, a prophetical sort of afterthought. It means something. It means that something's going to happen, that the, the thing that matters most in the world is here, 
that the, the thing that is going to call the Ninevites back to the, word, to the Lord and back to repentance and to recognition of their need of him has been given to Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Another implication of this is that God's word and God's opinion is superior to all, all alternatives. God's people with God's word have answers the world does not have. Right? I mean, do we believe that? Do we believe that a deeper acquaintance with God's word means that we are going to be more useful to our neighbors because we have answers that they don't have? And, and not, by the way, because we're smarter than they are or because um, we, we've been able to get this inside track on life. It's not a Gnostic sort of thing where we've been given this, this insider information that no one else has, but because we know the one who matters most. Do we believe that God's word and his opinion is superior to all alternatives? It's not for nothing, by the way, that God calls Jonah an Israelite to go to the Ninevites. He doesn't raise up a native son of Nineveh. But it matters that his people have his word, and he calls them to do something with it. And another implication of this, God's word is for the nations, but not by any one nation. So in other words, we can't take that truth and then use it as sometimes God's people been wont to do, to get big ideas about ourselves or to use it as a, as a means to become proud and boastful. No, God's word is given to us as a part of his compassionate mission for the life of the world. It draws us out of ourselves, in other words. So it's related to what I was saying earlier. Oftentimes, our problems seem so big to us and so insurmountable because we're focusing on them. We're, we're looking at them rather than looking along them into the mission that God has called us to. And another implication of this is that God's word carries a message of mercy and new life in Christ. Again, Jonah recognized this pretty clearly, which is why he resented the mission that God had called him to. It carries a message of mercy and new life in Christ. So it's related to another question I have for us. Do we have a sense of purpose about our lives? And what are we engaging in order to develop and mature this sense of purpose. Hear what Sinclair Ferguson says. Few things are more important for the Christian than to have a conscious sense of God's destiny. That destiny may not be one of spiritual fame. That is of secondary importance. What is important is that we have some sense of what we are for. There appears to be a direct relationship between our usefulness in the service of God and the sense of destiny that we have that whatever happens, we are doing the work to which God has called us. Jonah must have known something of this. He was God's man, God's servant, God's prophet. He had come to know God's will for his life. When we come to meet him in the opening words of the book of Jonah, God is once more making it clear to him what he is for. That is a privilege beyond price. And he's right about that. Do we recognize the great privilege that we have to have a sense of purpose and destiny in the world? The, ring, the world rings with that, that language, the, the language of destiny and purpose, and many of us are looking for it. And yet God's people have been given, a, have a privilege of, of incomparable value in being drawn into a, a purpose and a destiny that is, for, that is as big as the world as there are many, as many people in it. And that is something that I think we often don't recognize. And oftentimes our vision becomes smaller than it should be because we don't recognize the immense privilege we have as God's people to, to live out the gospel before a watching world. And don't hear me in a wrong key. That doesn't mean that every one of us is called, therefore, 
to abandon all and leave for the mission field. Some of us are. But I think oftentimes in our day, the main way that we live this truth out, the main way that we apply it, is being faithful to the privilege that we have of knowing God in his word and being diligent to cultivate that knowledge and being diligent to cultivate the relationships that we have in the body of Christ and being diligent in Sunday morning worship to come and to worship the Lord and to be shaped and transformed by this and by this very act to give a witness to the world that there's something bigger in our lives than the ordinary problems that we face Monday through Saturday. Saturday. That, that, that are bigger than the problems at work, that are bigger than the, the problems that we have in our family, that, that we're looking towards something other than just a quick fix for the problems in our lives, that we're looking for uh, God to show up, for, for, for God to be worshipped and adored in our hearts as bigger than all. That, that oftentimes the call upon our lives to live out the missional uh, calling that God has given us to, as his people is just to be faithful Christians in the here and now, to be faithful with the little that he has given before we have big ideas about the much that we could do for his kingdom. How, how, how much would our city and our families and our church family be transformed if even in this very year we all made a more diligent effort to know the Lord through his word, made a more diligent effort to um, approach him regularly in periods of, of deep and, and thoughtful prayer? made a more intelligent and concerted effort to encourage one another daily through, through his word, to know one another well enough and also to know his word well enough to be able to apply it to each other's lives. And I know that oftentimes when we hear things like mission and, and being involved in the mission of, the world, of God for the life of the world, we, we, we tend to go meta and we, we tend to think about the big things. I think those things really do matter. I mean, it, it's a good and wonderful thing that we have a thing like faith promise and we have missionaries that we know about and we can pray for. But I think for us, the way in which we can most thoughtfully apply this message, most thoughtfully be drawn into the mission of God for the life of the world is to be faithful as his people in Kennesaw, in the lives that we have today, in our families, in our church family, in our friendships. And that means, like Jonah, we've got to hear his word. We've got to know that it's going to do something. We've got to hear it with the confident expectation that God just doesn't say things for nothing's sake, but to do something, to draw people to himself, to draw all our hearts away from the things that preoccupy our attention, um, the things that make us anxious, the things that we are pursuing to get safety and security, and instead to draw our minds and our gaze and our attention to Christ and the things that he is doing in the world. Well, we also ought to take a, a minute to pause and consider what it means that, that Jonah fled. I mean, the importance of all of this can be seen in Jonah's flight in a way. Jonah flees from hearing the word of the Lord. A way perhaps to get into this for, for us is to ask ourselves, in what ways has a deeper knowledge of God's Word challenged and changed you in the past year? Challenged and changed you. In other words, in what ways have you come to God's Word and immediately come against something that, that, that challenged you to recognize, mm, the way I've been thinking about this just isn't right? Or perhaps... Um, the, the, the things that I've been investing in, the things that I've given my affection to haven't been healthy for me. In what ways has a deeper knowledge of God's word challenged and changed you in the last year? Because it challenged and it changed Jonah, whether he liked it or not. It challenged him on the front end immediately because he recognized, all right, 
man, I have this reputation in Israel. Probably I'm, you know, I'm, pro- I'm probably part of the ruling class. I've got this great reputation. People think I'm an Israelite. I'm for Israel. And now God's going to call me and he's going to send me to Nineveh. What is that going to do for my reputation? And by the way, Lord, you know, I've been really faithful. Like, I, we, I recognize we need some Holy Spirit power to come and change our hearts. We've been worshiping these false idols. We, we say we're worshiping you, but we've, we've erected these things which are complete contra, completely contrary to your word to us. Uh, we need to change that. And, and isn't it good that I'm here? Isn't it good that I'm in Israel? These things have preoccupied my mind, and now you're calling me away from all of that. I don't, I don't like that. I need to get away from all of that. So Jonah didn't just flee from the task that God, called, that God had called him to. He fleed from hearing the very words of the Lord. Hear what um, Douglas Stewart said in his commentary on this. He said that Jonah, the ardent nationalist, attempting to flee to a place where no fellow believers would be fla- found, hoping that this would help ensure that God's word would not come to him again. If he stayed in Israel, he could expect to hear more from Yahweh. But if he left he might hear nothing further. Folks, Jonah's story is tragic at parts, but I think that might be the most tragic piece of it. He was attempting to flee so that he would no longer hear God's word. The prophet who had been given this wonderful testimony to preach to Israel at one point, and probably many more besides, the prophet who had a reputation as God's man in God's land, yet was given this commission and fled from hearing God's word. He didn't like its implications. But he recognized something that I think we struggle to understand. He recognized that God's word doesn't just come in a void. In other words, it's going to change you. It's going to bring you along for something, maybe that you didn't sign up for, but it's going to change you. And he didn't want any part of that. So he recognized the only solution for me is to get away from this, to get away from hearing God's word. I need to go to a place where God's people can't be found. They can't challenge me with his word. Well, the implication for us is that God's Word is going to change us. It's going to open our eyes to new possibilities. It's going to give us a new perspective on the world. It's going to give us compassion and mercy for people that we didn't have compassion and mercy to before. It's going to make us more uncompromised with the world and more zealous for God's Word and zealous for His holiness. It's going to make us more loving and and kind, and also at the same time weirder in the eyes of the world. It's going to cost us something, and it's going to do this whether we like it or not. And one of the things that God's Word is going to do is going to make us like it and and love Him. It's going to do it for sure. And so take that as an encouragement. Again, hear a lot of this in the descriptive key. Here's what God is doing for the life of the world through His people, through us. God's Word is going to change us. So let's not be like Jonah and try to flee it. One of the sad things, I think, um, the sad things that we, in the American church anyway, Western church probably, struggle with is the implicit assumption that Christianity is sort of like this body of knowledge to be mastered rather than something to be mastered by. And so we hear the gospel a couple times, and we might go through the Bible in a year, do our Bible reading plan. We hear some good sermons, and we go through Romans, so we feel like we have a good handle on Reformed doctrine and all the rest of that. And it can grow in our minds this thought that, all right, well, I got the handle on it. So, you know, if I miss church a couple times, I haven't really missed anything after all. I mean, nothing I can't really catch up with anyway, you know, or, or I don't really need to pay attention to, you know, 
opportunities for discipleship or participation in a small group or whatever it might be, because, you know, I got this Christian thing. I, I, I understand it. That's not the way it works, though. It's not the way that God's Word works. It changes us. It, it, it forms us into people that we weren't, for, we weren't before. It gives us a new perspective on the world, and it opens up to us the things that God is concerned about, that, that He is doing in the world. And oftentimes, if we're lax about our, our, the privilege that we have in being drawn into, the, into this, then we're going to become more and more shaped by the things that are in the world. And it's going to exist uncomfortably with this knowledge that we have that we call Christianity, but which we don't know how to apply very well in our lives. We're also going to grow discouraged because there's going to be this big gulf between what we know to be true and then the truth that, as it is really lived out, how, how we really apply it to our lives. And it's going to seem more and more irreconcilable because while we may know a lot of things, we ourselves are not being transformed by the Word. We ourselves are not being made into people who can apply it with wisdom and grace and mercy and all the rest of it. So we need to recognize that God's Word, one of the things it does is it changes us. It transforms us. And that's why worship is so important. To be reminded again and again of the gospel. To be, uh, have these things held out before us and to be invited into the story to participate in it. So Jonah recognized this. He didn't want to be a part of it, and so he tried to flee from it. But as we'll see, even in that fleeing, he's not successful, and God, the hound of heaven, continues to pursue him. And so we see again God's grace and mercy, but that's for another time. But the main thing I think we need to see, again, the thing we need to recognize that Jonah 1, 1 through 3 teaches us, is that God calls his people to participate in his compassionate mission for the life of the world. Again, hear that in mainly the descriptive key. It's not, all right, here's the challenge for us this year, you know, make your list of people who you know are not believers and go and make them believers or whatever it might be. No, instead, here, this is what the Lord is doing through his people. This is what the Lord has called us to as his people. Here's the great privilege we have as sons and daughters of the Almighty King. Did you know that we as his people have a title that we could scarcely be on, what we could even imagine for ourselves? I mean, imagine if, if, if uh, tomorrow someone were to come to you and say, uh, you have a long-lost relative who was some uh, duke and ju justice in, in England, and you have this huge title in England and, and this big castle and, and all this authority. I mean, you would be bowled over, amazed. I don't know what you would really do with that, but it would be amazing, at least to have the title, something to boast about anyway. And yet you, as God's son or daughter, have a title that is far above anything that could be imagined. Do you just not know that you will one day judge angels? I'm reading a book about the... Um, the, the days leading up to the French Revolution and sort of the, the, the tumult and all the things that were going on uh, in France at that time. And one of the things that, that people started to resent was that there were so many nobles in France, so many people who had the title but didn't live up to it. So they were given this title, and, and what that meant was they were, you know, a duke at a particular land, and they were supposed to represent the king to the people, represent his majesty and his glory, um, and look after the people, be benevolent and all the rest of it. But so many of them had coasted on their title and not done anything with it that their lands were in disarray, even their magnificent castles were falling apart. They barely had any, any enough money to, to go out and eat. They would, they would miserly keep a little bit so just so they could get some fancy new clothes once a year and parade about the city to let everybody know that you know, there was still a sheriff in town, still somebody who mattered. But most of the time, they hid away in their castles. And, and so the only time the people saw them was these big parades, and they started to resent that very much. 
That's not what God has called us to be as his nobles in the world. It's not the attitude that we're meant to have. We're meant to have the attitude of the people who've been given this magnificent title, given these privileges, given this authority for the life of the world, for the mission of compassion and mercy, to to display all the wonders of what God has done for his people in Christ, to give the world a picture of his glory and his majesty, of his love and his compassion. Not, not to hide this title away in, in, in pride and, and this, this futile search for security, but, but instead with the security that we have as his sons and daughters to live out before the world the mission that we have to draw many people to Christ. And so God calls his people to participate in his compassionate mission for the life of the world. This is what the Lord is doing um, through us, through his people. This is what he is making us as his people we should rejoice and be glad in it. And, and again, hear it in this new year um, as, as in part a challenge, in part a challenge to know God better through his word, to recognize the privilege that it is to have his word, to have answers the world desperately needs and doesn't have, to know God in a way that we wouldn't know him otherwise, but also hear it uh, as an encouragement as an encouragement, this is what the Lord surely is doing in and through us, especially maybe in the days that we don't particularly feel it, in the days when the problems of life do seem overwhelming, when the familial problems that we're dealing with just seem so big and, and just out there, or the mess that we're trying to clean up from the bad decisions and unwisdom that we've lived in for so long. This is what the Lord is doing. He's calling us to have a perspective that is bigger than all of that, 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 that enlarges our eyesight to the concerns of his kingdom. And, and, and may we be people who more and more look to that rather than to ourselves. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the mission that you've given your people to be salt and light in this world, to be people who recognize as our, part of our great calling, we have the privilege to know you through your word, and to be a witness of your glory and your majesty and of the gospel to a world that so desperately needs it. Lord, help us to hear this in an encouraging way this morning, as this is what you're doing in your people for the life of the world. And as we reflect on that this year, Lord, may we be people who are more and more moved with the same compassion that moves you to be thoughtful about the ways in which we can engage our neighbors for the life of the world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.